we've got a fantastic guest today, Craig Weeks. I tell everybody, if you can work with your son or your dad at any opportunity or your daughter, what a special moment that is. We had a record year the first year we were fully in charge, me and my team. But this couldn't shake this feeling of imposter syndrome. You know, this isn't a job to me. I love my job. If I could talk to Craig Weeks, 14, he wouldn't believe what I'm telling him. <laughs> Obviously, i got a young family and I've stood there thinking, I can be in jail for Christmas here. You know, I've been the person who's been built old. I've been the person who's been blamed for everything. I would never let that happen to my team. What was it that you changed? Like, what was the decision you made in your mind? One of my biggest drivers is family. Family. I want to do my dad proud, my family proud. So I phoned him up and we were both crying on the phone. And We always ask our guests on this podcast the same final question. What their biggest piece of advice would be that they would share. What would you say yours is? I would say... Um... Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of Uncommon Sense. I'm really pleased to say that we've got a fantastic guest today, um, Craig Weeks, who is the general manager at JCB Transmissions here in Wrexham. So those of you who are watching us on our YouTube channel will see that we've left the Uncommon Practice HQ and we've come to JCB here in Wrexham on the industrial estate. It's, it's brilliant to be here. It's great that Craig's gonna be on our podcast. I'm really interested to talk to Craig about his inspirational journey, and it really is inspirational to the top here in Wrexham to understand how that happened. And I'm also really looking forward to talking to Craig about his views on leadership, culture, and values. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Thanks so much for joining us, Craig. On You're welcome. Sense. So um, where I'd really like to start, if it's okay, is to understand a bit more about how you became the general manager at JCB, just a little bit about your background. And, and we've spoken before about your sort of inspirational journey to the top. So it'd be really great to get your, to understand that story. Um. Coming into JCB, first of all, I was at school. Didn't like school so much, struggled with school. Went to uni, started on a Cisco Systems course. Didn't really like that either, so I wasn't cut out for that at the moment. But um, my dad worked here, so me and my brother got invited to come for an interview. Uh, my brother just come out of the army, a royal engineer, so I didn't think I'd have a chance, so we both come in, both got interviewed, both went through an aptitude test. And we're out home one day, we had a phone call. I answered the phone. Hello, it's JCB. Who is this? Craig. Uh, hi, Craig. Um, it's JCB. One would like to offer you the job. So, oh, okay. I said, what about my brother? Well, which one's your brother? Mark. That was, oh, yeah, no, unfortunately, he hasn't been successful. So I'm not sure to this day if they got the right person. <laughs> I think it was by luck or by chance, whatever way, it ended up me being me coming into the business. And then as a temporary worker, started on the assembly line, uh, went into the training school for two weeks, went into axles, slowly progressed through the business into gearbox, gearbox test, and then had a bit of a change in life, if you like. Young man going about Wrexham, got into a bit of trouble with a friend of mine, ended up nearly going to jail, um, which was a, a moment for me which made me set up and think. Whereas, you know, this judge, if I if I could find him today, I'd shake his hand, told us to go away and he would see us again in a, in a week's time when he reviewed all the evidence and such. Um, and that really put me into a thought process of what do I want for my life? Having to see what's, what it's like inside a prison, having seen that environment. And obviously he let us go, if you like, with a warning. 
But from that moment on, I wanted to change my life. So I went along to be a team leader at first, which didn't go down too well with my family because they're all shop floor, quite militant. Um, comes from the colonies, I suppose. <laughs> Very unionised. So yeah, my dad says like having a, a policeman in the family. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I become started on this journey as a team leader. You, you lost all your friends because nobody wanted to be friends with a team leader. So I just got my head down, kept practicing, progressing through the business, learning what I needed to learn. And I suppose one of the first true leaders in the business world coming to my life was Stuart Hughes, who was a director at the time, coming to Wrexham. Um, he was from back all orders at the time. His background was from South Wales with Sony, different lens on the world compared to JCB. And he seen something in me that he liked and he, he asked me to become a, a supervisor, a group leader, that's what they call now. So yeah, I jumped to the chance. And he, some of the things he taught me about leadership, how to man manage people, I still use to this day. Um, he's still quite high up in my estimation as one of the best leaders I've ever worked with. So I've got a lot to thank him for that. Mm -hmm. And so I become a, a supervisor then, and that was a bit easier with my work colleagues because you were staff then, you were, in a, you were in a team leader who has to run with the hare and the hounds. So, so that started my journey as a, as a staff person. Then I was asked to leave Gearbox to go and join the Axel team across the road. Again, a new challenge. I built Axels all my life, but to manage a team of people I didn't even know. So start again, if you like. So that was a good lesson for me to learn. So I went on to Axels, I was a group leader for two or three years, a manager's job came up in maintenance. I applied for that just to go through the process, to understand the process. Didn't really want the job, if I'm honest, but I thought I'll learn the process. It was unsuccessful, which was fine. And then a position come for a manager's job for Axel Assembly, which obviously I jumped at the chance and I was successful. So I become Axel manager, um, you know, it was about 2010. Um, and then just learning a different aspect of the role. It was tough, the manning issues, day-to-day -day normal stuff. Be I was a manager then, I wasn't a leader whatsoever. And you just got through the grind every day, every day, every day. And then I had a bit of a situation with a bad leader in the business, you'd say, mm -hmm. which which was tough to work under. So you can say you learn a lot more under a bad leader sometimes, or learn what to. Um, anyway, it, I had to go through the process of taking him to task and HR was involved. And the good thing that came out of it was I was put onto a senior management development course. And for me, this was a game changer. Didn't know it at the time. This was an absolute game changer. I was sent down to Roaster with a team of people similar to me and similar roles to me. And they were put on a course and the lady was called Liz Dowd, who was the tutor who JCB brought in to teach us. And yeah, she changed my world. I remember speaking to her at the induction day and then she invited us back down for a one-to-one -one interview. And we were in a little room, one-to-one, -one, and she discussed all issues, what problems I had. And she just said, you know, it's not you, it's JCB, it's big business. You can't take everything on your own shoulders. You know, it's how can you improve it? How do you look at it differently? You know, stop micromanaging, let your team grow, develop themselves. And I honestly left that little cloakroom, a different man, like the world had been lifted off my shoulders. I still text her messages to this day. So yeah, she was the first step in me becoming a leader and just looked on everything differently then, rather than messaging, emailing, texting people all hours of the night, just let them do their job. And then the next morning, if it went wrong, we'd come in, reevaluate it and learn from it.
and I slowly pulled away from that manager's role to a, a leader role. Um, and then improving your listening skills. Be careful what shadow you cast. You know, when you're saying things in front of people, because when you're a leader or a manager in the business, your team will mim mimic it at some point. So if whatever language you use and behavior you you put out there, and they will replicate it. It's it's human nature. Mm -hmm. One of my proudest moments was, you know, I was obsessed with casting this right shadow in the early days. And when I walked past the team leaderboard and I heard the team leader saying the same things I was speaking in the morning, my hair stuck up on the back of my neck. And I think that's what drove me. And, you know, a friend of colleague of mine here had an issue at home and I just listened to him for an hour. And they sent me a message the next day saying, thank you for listening to me. You're the first person who's ever listened to me. And that was one of the skills I learned as well, is to listen, you know, not just to be there, listen. Mm. So yeah, that was the first big step for me in the journey of leadership. I mean, it's, I knew it was going to be an interesting story and, and, and it is. Mm -hmm. um, brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Just, just to go sort of right back, you mentioned it, you had a sort of sliding doors moment mm. early on in your career and things could have gone one way or the other. Now, anyone who's listening to this who might have, you know, any youngsters who might be listening to this or anyone who's early on in their career, what, what was the thing you, you took away from that? You said you, you made the conscious decision, right, I'm going to change. What, what was it that you changed? Now, what was the decision you made in your mind? It was, for me, it was um, one of my biggest drivers, family, family. I want to do my dad proud, my family proud. Um, so that was a thing of letting my family down. That was one of the big things. I thought, you know, if I get into trouble here and go down the wrong route, I, I'm going to make my family be, you know, upset, obviously. Um, so that was a big driver for me. And from that moment on, I used that to power me on. Is, uh, yeah, I want to make people happy and proud of me, not disappointed. And so what was it that changed in you after that? What what was the difference? It's hard to, to, to put down really. It was a determination. It was, it was, it's hard to put into words, but it was just that drives in to progress, to really progress. You know, when I went in for the team leader role, there was a guy who's been doing the job a lot longer than me. And I thought, I'm never going to get this. And lo and behold, I got the role. Um, that was the first thing was, wow, I've got, I've got it. Like I said to you before, I didn't, didn't like school, didn't enjoy school. Um, and I started on this journey of learning and it just opened so many doors. I've become a sponge and I was in a senior management development course. I was with other people and I was thinking, why are you engaged? You know, this lit a fire inside of me and I can, from me, life for me, by the right time, right people, right person, whatever it was, it just lit a fire in me. And I just started on the audio books, started self-learning, and yeah, I just I just couldn't contain myself. It's it's just so interesting this because we've we've done several episodes of this podcast now, and I, I think the same themes keep coming up in in every episode. So I, I think there could be a book after this. Um, <laughs> but what's really interesting, there's several things that you've said, and we talking about education. <clears throat> you know, we've we've been fortunate enough to interview some great business leaders on this podcast, and. And this the similar theme of not being great in education and yet sort of coming out of it and then rising to the top. Do you think that that's because, um, I mean, obviously education is important. Neither of us are, are saying that, that it's not. But I, I'm, I'm catching up. So if you can do it early, all the better. Okay. I'm catching up. Okay. But do you think that, that the fact that you 
do you think it hindered you those early days, you know, struggling in education or, or not? So, just so you're talking, I was thinking, because I, I was preempting the question you were going to ask then, I genuinely think it gives you a different skill. So, if you're not as intelligent as other people or whatever growing up or don't have the opportunities, I think you learn other skills to get you through life. So whether that's a personality, whether that's whatever that may be is a different skill to get you through what you need to do. I think that gives you a different basis and then you build from that to, with your education after. So whether that gave me a skill set of a good personality, uh, whatever it is, a good with my hands or my head, building a team, whatever that skill may be, or being able to talk to people, involve people, learn off people, whatever that skill was, it gave me the right footings to excel once I started learning. Oh, I love that, Craig. That's that's a brilliant, brilliant answer. So going back again to your sort of journey through the ranks, if you like, you mentioned uh, two leaders, one who inspired you significantly and one which wasn't such a good experience, if you like. So what was it about, so the first question you can probably guess on the second one would be, what was it about the positive leader that you really looked up to? And then, you know, what, Conversely, because there will be lots of business leaders out there, and hopefully this will be useful to them. Is you know, what was it about a leader, perhaps, that you weren't so, you know, enamoured with? That... I think from the first leader was that was the first person I come across that had a different lens on the world to JCB. So he come from outside of JCB. Um, so, and just the little things that he told me about man management. At the end of the day, everything's about people. Mm -hmm. And from the bad leader, you know, on reflection, now some of the the great lessons I learned from him on, on reflection when I've grown as a leader. Mm -hmm. You know, again, he had a different lens in the world and you can learn something of everybody, mm -hmm. of everybody. And I think I've learned some of my big journey, leap forwards, if you like, of a bad leader. Yeah. And yeah. you take the good and the bad from everybody and mm -hmm. what you do is you don't. Um, and again, going back to that base skill, is that what I learned to do when I wasn't enjoying education? I learned them skills to pull off people, mm -hmm. and and you you make your own skill. I don't yeah. know, but no, it's, it's it's really really interesting. I think you, you've also touched on the same thing a few times, which is you know, and I, might, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it seems to me that your view as a leader there, you say you said when you became leader, you stopped man managing people, yep. you empowered people. Is that would you say is one of the secrets? To your yeah, as a so, you know, I remember one instance where I was messaging all night, got a pain plant here, we're having issues with, and, you know, I'd done my second course in on the SMDP, and I said about, you know, hey, what's your delegation skills? Like, very good. Now, talk me through your delegation skills. I wasn't delegating at all. I was micromanaging. But my, in my view, it was delegation. No, I was, I was turning people into robots. Okay. You know, I want you to do X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. People are people, you know, and, and I had a phone call that night. I was away on a course, pain plants down, itching to reply, didn't reply. Okay. Didn't reply. Three phone calls later, didn't answer. I was in a hotel, I was down Staffordshire, I was pulling my hair out just to know what's happened. So I get up in the morning and the sprinkler system had gone off in the pain plants and they resolved it. Issues of the customer had been resolved and I didn't do a thing. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the, again, key moments of going, is there something in this? Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. something in this and people can manage. Yeah. The people are very good. Yeah. But if you keep putting your foot on people and telling them what to do, they're just going to wait for instruction. Mm -hmm. And if I want a robot, I'll buy a robot. 
Yeah, it's, it, it's, I suppose that was another sort of enlightenment moment for you there. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. That, going through that leap of faith of don't answer it, don't answer it, when you're used to answering and answering it. But what was the, the driver for that? Was the, that leadership team was so aggressive, so wanting to know the ins and outs of things, so oppressive. So you've got to take that away. You've got to turn into a garden and let people grow. You know, just sprinkle a bit of water on them, a bit of food and let them grow. That's... Get, get your foot off the top of their heads. Oh, that's brilliant. Thanks, Craig. Um, I also want to go back uh, a little bit again to your journey to the top because it, it is such a good story. And hopefully, you know, people listening to this will, will take a lot from it. You, you mentioned that you joined the business, your, your father was working in the business. And then all of a sudden, as you said, you were sort of promoted. Yeah, lift sharing home wasn't good. Okay, tell me a bit more about that. So obviously my dad was advising me not to do it and X, Y, and what, what my dad's best knowledge, obviously. And then I got the role and then obviously we was, I was still living in a home. So going home was a bit difficult. Then, then you become your dad's boss, which again is a, is a laughing point, but sometimes a bit awkward. You know, looking back on it, having the opportunity, because I worked with my dad as well, having that opportunity to spend that time and see my dad in that environment. You know, I tell everybody, if you can work with your son or your dad at any opportunity or your daughter, what a special moment that is. I reflect on it now and think, what a time of my life I got to spend seeing my dad mm-hmm. have fun, be be a man, not a dad. Yeah. Uh, joking with his mates, having fun. And that side, a lot of people don't see their parents. So, yeah, special time. But when I was in that transition, it was hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I come back after the pandemic and we're going to, I suppose, a bit detail after, but... I was starting to progress up and take more ownership of the business. And when I got offered the operations job, that was that was emotional. Mm-hmm. You know, phoning my dad up and saying, they've offered me operations manager. You know, becoming a manager was beyond my wildest dreams, but to be asked to be operations manager at JCB. Oh, so I phoned him up and we were both crying on the phone and, you know, coming to work, had a bit of a hug on the stairs outside. It's getting emotional now. But um, special moment. And he said... I'm glad you didn't listen to me. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't listen to me. Mm. But yeah, special moment. Oh, that's that's a brilliant story. Yeah, you, you got me going as well, to be honest, Craig. Um, so thinking about then, you you were becoming the leader and you had to get these people that you've been working with on the shop floor. Is that the sort of, uh, I don't know if that's the right language, but yeah. the people you've been working with in the factory, if you like. And all of a sudden, Craig is now a leader or is a manager on the way to leadership. How did you get those people to follow you? You've got to deliver. You've got to deliver. Talk is cheap. For me, it was all about showing people, delivering, doing what you say you're going to do. Empathy is a big one. You know, I'm off. I'm from the shop floor. That's again, is another big part of my toolkit is I know what they're going through. I know what the shop floor have to do. I know that a guy who's got a bad tool a 10 mil tool that he doesn't fit the spanner correctly and it slips off every time he does that process. In his world, that's everything. Someone sat in this office, he was never been in on the shelf floor, think, what's he moaning about? He's only, he's only a spanner. That is everything in that world. So it's that empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, a prime example, when we had the, the pandemic and we were coming back and the like, guys on the shelf floor had to wear masks, a visor three foot apart and all that tough stuff and it was hot outside. You know, I was looking at people in the office with air-conditioned offices with no masks on and stuff. I thought, this is not right. So I made all the staff 
wear masks, even if they're in an office on their own, just because we're part of it. We're all in this together. It's not, I don't want to create that them and us. You know, it's a, it, you can't get away completely from it because it's different worlds, as in, you know, they haven't got a phone at the end of their station or mm-hmm. they can't phone their wife up any time like most people these mm-hmm. year can. You know, they can't go to the station cupboard to get a pen when they want, so they have to go to stores and sign for it. You can't get away from it completely, but uh, every way possible, you've got to make this one team. And I thought, something fair on these guys having to be on the shop floor, having to wear this PPE, and wear it in an air-conditioned office. So obviously it wasn't liked by the staff team at the time, but it was well recognised. And I'm guessing it's almost like a superpower, as you say, having that empathy, having been there and done it yourself. Been there, done it. And, and it's interesting because I think some companies have different approaches to leadership, you know, maybe graduate programmes or yep. uh, helicoptering people in, you know, to the leadership roles. Yep. But you've, JCB, have obviously taken a different approach with you, seeing that you're worked in the factory and you like as you say you understand their needs their problems yeah. their worldviews you know everything that they're going through like you say it might just be a spanner and someone in head office might say oh what are they complaining about yeah. but and it works both ways as well because as i'm learning growing developing the stuff i know now that would benefit me if i was on the shop floor i would reverse it so i go down there and educate the shop floor the best i can you know, communication was a big thing. When you're on shifts and you're coming in on a Saturday night, your first shift, there's nobody here to communicate to them. So we put up the um, communication boards. I don't know if you've seen them when you come in. Mm-hmm. So it's a brief outline of what's happening in the business, investments, orders, and they get a suggestion box. So they put a little slip in to ask for a suggestion or a question. And every month we review it as a committee with the, with the GMB as well. And we reply to them as best we can. Mm-hmm. And anyone's put a good suggestion in, we reward what we can, not any learning developments. And they're two years old now, and they're still being heavily used. Mm-hmm. Here we get pictures of willies and boobs sometimes, yep. but uh, you know, that's part of the course. Yep. But, uh, but overall, that communication, again, is that engagement, connecting the shop floor to the office and to the business. Because, mm-hmm. you know, 70, 80% of my work for us on the shop floor. Yeah. You know, I used to get annoyed when the exec would fly in, come in the office and fly out. First thing I do now is take them on the shop floor, come and meet your people. Yeah. And you know what? They love it. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I'm trying to remember exactly where it comes from. It might be lean manufacturing or something, but they call it the Gemba walks, I think they call it. And the, the Gemba meaning sort of the place where stuff happens, so like the workshop. or And I think one of the point they're making is directors need to get out of their Absolutely. boardrooms or get out of their offices. Yeah. You've got a lovely office, but you get out of the office and then go to the shop floor where the stuff happens because very rarely yeah very rarely okay my uh, maybe that's where my comfort zone is though you know i'm i'm you know i'm i'm used to being on the shop floor so i'm i'm happier there i Mm -hmm. suppose if you get helicoptered in you don't know people don't know the process right your safe zones here you might know the theory i guess as well you've done all the theory of leadership yeah but you've actually sort of lived it i suppose is that right yeah really interesting um you said something which I which I loved. I've I've actually not heard the phrase before. Cast the casting the shadow or casting the right shadow. Yeah, which is great. I took from that. You know, you set the tone. Is that sort of what you meant? Would you mind elaborating so, on that a bit more? So it's the language you use. So first thing I learned when I was off that development program, I come back. It's all about communication, education. So I started up the biscuit meeting. So. You know, I got the team leaders in because it's no point just having your managers in. You need the team in. You, know, you need to be the call face. So you get all the team leaders in. 
round a table similar to this and I'd bring a pack of biscuits in, we'd have a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. It'd be 10 o'clock every morning, like, boys, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I'm saying boys because we didn't have any females on the shop floor then, but we'll come on to that later. Okay. But, um, yeah, so we'd just get around the table and it wouldn't be a structured meeting. Right, what's going on? Any issues on your line? I'll feed back what I've got from my ops meeting in the morning. And it's just that open dialect and communication and speaking the right language. And then they'll go out there and speak that language as well. Because it's human nature. You're going to, well, what's Craig said? And they'll he'll interpret it his own way, but there'll be a similar language. And like I say, when I walked past that team leader board and heard that team leader saying them words that, that I spoke that morning, that feeling, that, that's, there's no better feeling for me than that, that you've impacted somebody's life. You, you, you're coaching, mentoring, they're growing as well. They're becoming a leader because they feel elevated that they've got this information mm-hmm. and, they, and they're sharing it. So I think it's, a, it's an amazing thing to have. And it's mm-hmm. the big thing that shocked me was as I kept doing these little things, instrumental gains, whatever you want to call them, things were getting easier. My job was getting easier. I was talking more, doing less work, but productivity was going up. The good feeling was going up. You know, absenteeism was going down. Everything was ticking every box. I was thinking, there's no magic spell here. I'm just talking to my people, yeah. communicating, mm-hmm. guiding, nudging, coaching, mentoring. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's not rocket science. Why do you think it was different before? What, what do you think has changed to make, you know, and obviously it's you, you've made a massive difference, but what was the, you know, traditionally, why was it not like that? There is no shop floor engagements in my view. I'm, I'm all about the community as well, because I'm promoting JCB as a business in the community. You know, going to the schools, talking to the schools, talking to yourself, some business business meetings, getting the council involved, started a leadership alliance up. Because it's all about community, sharing best practices. You know, we played rugby last week, that's where I got these scars from. <laughs> so it's Wrexham against transmissions, and we played football, you know, two football teams, axles versus gearboxes. And the biggest thing I took from that, you know, it was for a great cause. But the biggest thing I got from when we went to the, the pub after for some food and that, there was nearly 300 people in there family, kids running round. That to me is everything. That to me is when you keep the person here for life. Yep. You know, I've been here 28 years now. You know, when I was on the shop floor, we used to have lots of fun football teams, going out to have a few drinks together. That died. Mm-hmm. It went away and I don't know if it was maybe the people who weren't invested in the area because I'm a local lad. I don't know what it was, but just that shop floor engagements, because like I say, 78% was a shop floor, making their world good, making their them happier, more productive. Mm-hmm. And that's all this has come from. There's no magic portion. It's just involvement. People. Mm-hmm. Making sure your people are good. No, it's, 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 it's really, really interesting. I also, uh, another key theme that seems to come through in, in a lot of these interviews, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, is this idea of imposter syndrome. So, I mean, I, I don't need to tell you, but just for anyone who's listening, it, it's this idea that, you know, you, you are now a leader, but you don't feel like you deserve to be there almost. It's still waiting for somebody to come and drag me out of the office. So, it's, so, I, <laughs> so I take that then from you, that that maybe is something you face or have absolutely. sought. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of my biggest fears. Is that someone's going to come and drag you out of the yeah, office? Yeah, someone's going to pick the phone and say, that, you know, you had your you? fun, you had your fun, come on, out you go. Okay. Um, and this, this, is, this is amazing because I've listened to audiobooks, as you know, and learned about imposter syndrome, and I... Got a great coach, Karen Dean, who told me how to deal with it. And it's an amazing thing. So because of my background, where I come from, and you've always had 
you know, people in this office, real clever people, you know, come through the, the right tracks, if you like, the normal tracks. You always put them on a pedestal and you always gauge yourself against them. So when I was in here, I was thinking, how do I know if I'm a good leader? Um, so one thing, key thing I looked at was attrition. How many people are we losing? So when it first took over, we were losing about 12 a month. You know, it's come from the pandemic, trying to get the right people in, people leaving the business, coming in three or four weeks. You'd have to retrain them, cost a lot of money, don't get the right skills. But once we started the shop floor engagements, the birthday meetings, the women's alliance, you know, the communication boards, the football, all this stuff, all of a sudden, nobody's leaving the business. You know, I asked the, the lady who looks after the, the, the attrition side of it, and she was like, no, we haven't lost anybody for the last three months, three months. Then I think within 12, with over the 12 months, the last 12 months, I think we lost about six or seven people, but that was through them not doing their job correctly, not because people were leaving the business. So that was a tick in the box for me where we're on the right tracks here. And then this imposter syndrome kept coming, you know, waiting for that phone call, <laughs> waiting for the, are we doing it right, you know? We had a record year the first year. We were fully in charge, me and my team. Record year of transmissions, you know, fantastic. You know, less people, record year. Pat on the back, great stuff. But this couldn't shake this feeling of imposter syndrome. So when I had a session with a, with my coach, I was like, I can't shake this. And she took me through a tool and a process. I don't want to say because it it's, it's her tool and process. So, And it basically turns out that it's a superpower. It's a superpower in a way of, I'll never settle. So I've always got this thing on behind me thinking someone's going to come and get me. Someone like, I need to keep evolving. I need to keep improving. There's always somebody better than you out there. So this imposter syndrome I now see as a, as a superpower. So every night I'll wake up thinking of something different I can do. Every morning I'll think of what else we can do differently. I ne I'll never settle. I'll never settle for what we got. I'll never be contempt. So I, I, I've turned that to a, from a fear into a superpower now and it's working no that I, that's the first time i've ever heard that and yeah that's quite profound actually and i guess it it just means that and i suppose conversely to that if you didn't have an element of imposter syndrome as a leader maybe it means you're a bit too comfortable would you say exactly that so you know learning financial side of the business which i've never been involved in which i'm loving budgeting pnl all this great stuff i'm growing myself as a person you know sometimes you can feel sick when you go into meetings because you're outside your comfort zone but I know that's what I need to be mm -hmm. you know if I'm going into that meeting just I know everything don't I don't ever want to be that person mm -hmm. so I either want to be feeling sick because I'm out of comfort zone or I want this imposter syndrome around me mm -hmm. so with them two tool sets you know I don't even want to retire if I'm honest with you you know, this isn't a job to me. This is, I love my job. I love coming to work, developing people, growing people, growing the business, pushing myself, growing myself. You know, if I could talk to Craig Weeks 14, he wouldn't believe what I'm telling him. <laughs> and so it's, so I'm using it as a, as a superpower, like I'm saying. It's uh, always push yourself. And uh, imposter syndrome is a bad feeling. I've, I've, until I learn to control it, it's is overwhelming sometimes. Right. And I can understand why it can break some people. But you need to flip it on its head. Like my life coach said, use it as a sewer because you'll never be contempt. You'll always think someone's going to come and get you, so you'll always push yourself. Did you ever need then some, I mean, I'm just interested to understand with this imposter syndrome, there's the final question on this, but I'm interested to understand, did did your bosses, because obviously you've got people, I suppose, even higher up, yeah, yeah. did they ever help you to overcome that 
Posters. No, they've never. I don't think I've ever told them about it. Okay. Um, got some great people. Special thanks to Martin, the CEO of the business. You know, when I've been in trouble here, and when I first took over, you know, one of the first days I took over, the payment plan was down again, stopping every business. You know, you're thinking, oh my God, you know, the last general manager's left. I'm the first man in charge, and I've stopped every business you didn't in the in the UK. So obviously my boss phones me up and they go, oh, God, this is it, you know. And he, and he said to me then, listen, you're not on trial. You're the best man for the job. You'll get through this, you'll fix it, and you'll be a better person for it. Mm -hmm. Give me a ring in two hours, see how you're getting on. You know, for me, that's a leader. You know, when you have all these tales about they're going to do this to you, and when it gets down to Staffordshire, they're going to come up here and mm -hmm. sort you all out. Mm -hmm. Far from it. Every person I have had to deal with have been so supportive. Don't get me wrong, if you do it wrong too many yeah. times, you're going to get a bollock and yeah. whatever. But, you know, that from that instance there, I, I just felt, what a leader. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then when you've got them people in charge of you, you can only be a better leader. Mm -hmm. you, you can only pass that down. So again, casting the shite shadow. He yeah. casted the shadow to me, and that's going to cast even further through me. Yeah. Look, absolutely love it. And that leads really neatly on to sort of what I want to talk about next, because when you and I first met a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we were, t we were talking about the book Legacy by James Kerr. Yeah. We both read it and we, we both loved the book. And if anyone's not read it, I would say Absolutely. definitely. Absolutely. It's a big uh, recommend from us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, c I come into your office and there's a, for those who can't see, there's a big yellow sign. And it says in big, you know, big there's a big yellow sign. And in black writing, it says, we are creating a culture to deliver excellence. Uh, and I love that. Yeah. And I think... You know, a lot of business leaders who, um, smaller businesses perhaps who are listening to this might think, oh, here we go. Culture, values, mm -hmm. behaviors, uh, it's, you know, all of that crap again, yeah. which I know is like the complete opposite of what you think. So I, I, I'd really like to dig into this a little bit more. So I'm interested to understand clearly culture is important to you. So could you talk to us a bit about sort of what you've been trying to do? Yeah, so it's, again, it's back to them hard yards, if you like. It's demonstrating what you're doing. You're not just talking. Create a culture that's demonstrating. You know, you can go into meetings, you know, like you say, you hear people talk about culture and this, that, and the other. You come from there again, yeah, whatever. You know, I invite anybody to come here and feel this culture change. I know people leave here and tell me they feel a difference. And again, to to grow myself, to to change that culture, I reached out to another senior manager in the business, Ian Sayers, because he's got a completely different lens on the world to me. You know, his service warranty. You know, he's got a great background himself. You know, doing the hard yards, working on combine harvester stuff. So I reached out to him. Would he mentor me for twelve months? And on our second session, he said, "What is Craig Weeks' brand?" When I come up to Wrexham, what am I going to feel? What am I going to see different? Because you have to be different. And that got me. And I had to think about it for days and days. And at the time, it was James Kerr. I was going through that book and I was, I was lucky enough to have him on a, on a, a team's call. Um, it wasn't just me, it was a few hundred people. But, and he was talking about culture and how they deliver excellence. And it's all about the shirts with New Zealand. You respect the shirts and it's all about your ancestors. Mm -hmm. You know, we do the hacker. They're calling up their ancestors mm -hmm. to stand alongside them to fight anybody. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, I just tingling. I couldn't get this culture thing on my head. So I got my leadership team in this office. I said, what's our culture? What, what's our brand? What, what, what are we saying? Well, when we go out there, everyone knows what we're about. And we come up with that. 
I think that actually describes what we're about here. We're creating a culture to deliver excellence. Mm -hmm. That excellence can be anything. That's in leadership, quality, anything. Because I didn't want to put it pigeonholed because leadership isn't pigeonholed. And then, and that's the start. It was really getting into the culture side now, the behavioral control. We just started a 5S project now because we've had such a, a turnover of people the last two years because of the pandemic. You know, all our old skilled people have gone. So we've got a new breed of people here now, which we're having to go back to grassroots and develop that culture. You'll see when I walk around later, it's all about how the shop floor looks, how the floor looks, how the walkway's clean, how the toilet's clean. That's where culture starts. Forget the bolts, forget the nuts. You start on the shop floor. How does it look? How does it feel? When you walk up to my factory, does it look good? Does outside the factory look clean and brushed up? Because that's where it starts. That's where culture starts. And then the good stuff comes after once you get the basics right. I mean, a brilliant, brilliant answer. You know, again, it, it reminds me a bit, I'm, I'm thinking about similar things I've heard before that I don't know if you've heard of this, Craig, this idea of a broken, the broken windows theory. I don't know if you've heard about this. So this was going back into sort of the 90s in New York, 80s, 90s, New York was not a nice place to be. And then Giuliani took over. I know he's sort of like damaged his reputation yeah. a bit recently. Uh, me, yeah. but, you know, in yeah. the 90s, 80s, 90s, I think he became sort of the mayor or whatever. And his whole thing was, he called it the broken windows theory, which was this idea that we cannot change anything until the signals that people see around them are right. You know, if we can't go around and crime was high and all this stuff, and people were saying, oh, we just need more policemen on the streets. We just need to, you know, stand down on it. And I think his thing was, until we create a smarter environment where we don't have like broken windows or, or where we don't have graffiti and stuff on the walls, that's the signal and creates the environment of the culture that we Absolutely. want. And it strikes me that that's Absolutely. sort of what you're saying would here you, at JCB. Would you drop a crisp wrapper inside a church? No. Would you drop it on a, a dirty street? Yeah, you probably would because that's the standard. Mm -hmm. You raise the standard yeah. by changing the culture. And we're nowhere near finished, by the way. Okay. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. Uh, I've got a great leadership team around me, good leaders, young leadership team, which we mentor and coaching. But uh, yeah, I'm excited about the future because it's a blank canvas for me. We we're on our second year, second record year, but we've still got lots to do. Mm -hmm. Lots to grow in development to do, which I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be the finished article. Mm -hmm. And how about your team? How did they, when you sort of, because I mean, a, a traditional business, if you like manufacturing business, traditional is not fair, but you know, a, a manufacturing business has been here a long, long, long time. Yeah. How have the people that are working for you embraced this sort of stuff that you're saying? Was it easy or, or did you get some pushback? Yes, yeah, pushback, obviously a pushback, a change. You know, when I first started after the pandemic, JCB, I think, took a view of let's have a reset, let's let the older culture go if they want to retire, let's bring a new leadership team, shop floor in, bit of a reset, I think that's what they were looking for. So that's what happened when managers started leaving, the, the, main, the machine shop manager left, I took over machine shop, just said to the lads, you know, I'm here, we work to help you, we work to do it. Same happened with Gearbox, I came over to Gearbox, helped out in Gearbox, and obviously then I was asked to be the ops manager. Um, and then you're seeing people thinking, you know, can he do this? And it was that fear factor. I suppose then when the general manager was asked to be general manager and the, and the last general manager left, I think that first six months again about demonstrating, you have to demonstrate because there's a void being left by a, a leader, good or bad, doesn't matter, they've gone and that trust in that person's gone. So mm. 
the new people are looking to you and you're sat by that desk again, I've got to, I've got to deliver. Yeah. And that's what it was all about, being yeah. present, over-communicating, over-coaching, you know, being in every meeting you can be in, you know, giving your view on, on everything you can as guidance. And then, then let them go, let them develop then. You know, you just got to keep prodding, poking. And you do need your, your superstars coming in. You know, I've got some great superstars and all from JCB have come in and they've made a difference. You do need that. It's like a football team, if you like. Yep. Like I said, you know, you've got your apprentices, you've got your academy players coming in through the ranks, mm-hmm. you got your old heads in the middle and you've got your superstars coming in from outside. You need yep. that mix. And bringing insights, I'm guessing, and fresh perspectives. Different lens on the world. Yep. Yeah, and you need that. When I, when I took over this place, I can say it was, the doors were that shut. It was unbelievable. Okay. You know, we were a factory on our car park virtually. 20 odd years hadn't spoke to us. You know, and that's the first thing I was keen on was blowing the doors off the place. You know, we cannot think we're the best at everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's Airbus first, got Airbus here, and you're inviting people in, and people are like, well, we can come to JCB. And that was the feedback I was getting. It was this culture of, I don't know, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I thought, no, we're not the best at everything. So uh, another big change point for me was November 21, I think it was, we had a significant incident on the shop floor and two lads messing about, best friends, and he tried to pick him up with a lifter as a joke and he hurt him. Air ambulance come, police come, shut the factory. You know, I'm looking at a police camera thinking I'm going to jail for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, corporate manslaughter, all this stuff's going through your head, you know. And CID come, checking all the paperwork, everything. We've done everything right, you know, brilliant job by my team. And then the lad obviously got escorted off sides, got arrested, and guy got flown off to hospital, but he was fine. I mean, for three or four weeks, he was back home, back in work within four months. But I thought, I'm going to have to tell people about this, because we tell people how to use equipment. I'd come from an engineering mechanical background because my dad was a mechanic. I understand mechanics, hydraulics, pneumatics, I do. The next generation of person who hasn't got that dad or mom doesn't know this background, you know, I've been in a garage, garage mucking about with cars all this, all this young life. So though we taught, tell people how to use them, we don't tell them what happens if they use it wrongly. Mm-hmm. You know, so we got a barrel full of water and we used this lifter and crushed the barrel, took a video of it straight away and it crushed the barrel. Well, I show that to everybody on site. Then so right, what else can I do? So then I said, right, I need to tell other people in the estate. So I invited all the big factories around here, which look after three, 400 people plus, into the into our, our office and I presented the, what happened and they couldn't believe my honesty about what went wrong and we're showing them what went wrong not what we're good at you know mm-hmm. we only show the good stuff yeah. and I said no I want people to learn from our mistake that never happens in your factory and people went away and the emails and thank yous I got for the next week and then I was on to something I thought I'm on to communicate it outside of this factory now I'm on to casting a shadow on mm. the side of this factory. And I was thinking this, you know, I don't know who runs Kellogg's. I don't know who's Networld. I don't know. Yeah. So I suddenly started, right, I'm going to create a leadership alliance. Mm-hmm. So we pulled this fact, this group of people together, and things about six or seven at the start, and we're up to about 12 now. Right, how do we learn off each other? How do we make ourselves better? How do we support other businesses as big players on the industrial mm-hmm. estate? And that's nearly two years old now. Mm-hmm. It's coming up to its second year this December. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of, that you know we'll host people here, we'll host people in Verdi, NetWorld. You know, who'd have thought JCB would be good partners with Moneypenny? Yeah. And we learn off each other. Yeah. You know, who'd have thought that? Yeah. 
it's it's phenomenal but again we're back to talking about people engaging people learning off people that to me is the is is the magic dust is learning off people is everyone's got a different skill set it's really interesting because i think as you say in, in a lot of places if something went catastrophically wrong like that or, or or you know big issue as you've mentioned i think in a lot of firms what or organizations what they'll do is they'll they'll sort of sh hush yeah. it hush yeah, it up yeah. oh it never happened yeah, let's yeah, just yeah. brush over it so it's it's almost sort of paradoxical if you like you sort of took that and thought no i'm going to do the, almost the complete opposite of what most organizations would do i guess yeah. and feature it and make a point of it the big driver for me was obviously i got a young family and i stood there thinking I could be in jail for Christmas here, okay. and nothing, none of my doing, none of my doing. Just you know, people that work for you because you are responsible, even though you're not part of that team. And I thought I don't want anyone feeling that. I don't want anyone feeling like I've just felt. And if I can avoid that and tell people, you know, then people went back to all their working stations and you know, communicated to their team, changed their risk assessments. Yeah. I showed them what could happen if things went wrong. So I might have saved God knows how many people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I might not have. I don't know, but. I just felt it was the right thing to do, not to put something that I went through. You know, it was a terrible thing to go through. Yeah. So learn from your mistakes. Absolutely. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. You touched on something there, which I'd like to come on to next, which is um, your family is important to you. you. You've told a moving story about your own father. And I know that we, we, we are both football coaches. We've yeah. spoken about that. And, you know, we've, we've got young, youngish families. Now, it's interesting. I, we spoke about this on a recent podcast that whenever we have a female guest on here, female leader we always sort of ask them the, the, the question oh well how do you manage your, your work-life balance you know which again sort of implies that it's a female yeah. issue right and we talk about these like unconscious bias don't we in yeah, work okay, yeah. and like uh, well there is a clear example of one where we happily ask women well how, how you're a leader and how do you manage your home life or work life well of course I should be asking you and so I am going to ask you because it's obviously something that affects male leaders or should affect male leaders, yeah, yeah. which affects female leaders, right? So I suppose what I'd like to ask you then is, you know, you're extremely busy. Yeah. You know, you, you're here, you, you work very hard, but you also you know, are very close to your family and have a, and, and put that as a priority. So how do you manage that sort of work-life balance as a leader? If you want my PA ask me that every day, I don't know how to do it. Okay. <laughs> I must have extra hours of the day. Obviously you've got a great wife, great family that help out. Got a five-year-old daughter that rules the house, but no, it's it's hard. It's getting a bit easier. My eldest is fourteen now. You'll see, my daughter's five, so things are getting easier. It's, it's the football practice, it's mm -hmm. the swimming, mm -hmm. it's the dance class, it's all that. But yeah, I suppose you're not the priority at home, which is a nice thing, I think. Whereas you got all this control here, and you're having to look after so many people here, and then you go home and you become the opposite person then. Uh, my wife's got a demanding job. She in care, looks after, you know, abused and unfortunate children. So she's got a tough role. And I think that's one of the hardest challenges when two of you in the household have got a good career, good, strong career, and both driven. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's the hardest thing. Okay. When who's who's going to pick the kid up when they're not well? And, yeah. Oh, I've got busy. Oh, I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's more of a challenge. But. Yeah. You know, again, with the with the football side where I started with rugby coaching, then went into the football coaching. I go back to working with my dad, you know, my eldest son, good good little footballer. But to have them moments, though, driving to football, talking about football, analysing it, coming back, you know, 
who's done good, who's done bad, and and, and it's a fantastic time in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sat and old and grey, hopefully, and reflect on them moments makes everything worthwhile. Yeah. Everything, them getting up in November, putting the goals up, freezing wet, mm-hmm. to have that moment and your son look at you when he scored a goal or whatever it is, their moments are precious. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I share that with you because I, I, I still think about you know, I, we, we go through the same thing. So with my football coaching, mm-hmm. I agree with you, you know, those moments with your kids are yeah. so precious. And you're right, I still I can't think about it too much. But, you know, when he scored his first goal for his football team, it was, yeah, it sounds silly, but mm-hmm. under seven football, but it's an emotional time is, and you, ca- you can't miss it. No. So it, it strikes me then that your view as a leader is, yes, work is important, but obviously there are other things in life that are yes, more absolutely. important. You know, I, I had a tough time, i say, when I went through a tough time here and couldn't switch off and the people around me were like, you know, getting up at two o'clock in the morning and it was a tough time. You couldn't switch off. You've got to learn to switch off. You've mm-hmm. got to learn to switch off. That's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but you've got to separate it. You've got to enjoy life. And the leaders around me tell me that as well because they know how big this job is. Mm-hmm. You know, friends of mine saying, I don't know how you do it. You're 600 people and how you sleep at night, but... You've got. I think you've got to go through a bad time as well. I think resilience. That when you when you've gone through a tough time, you raise raised from the ashes. I think as a leader, you need to have them tough times. Okay. I think when a, a person once said to me, "You got to graze your knees." Okay. I think you need as a good leader. I think you have to. As again, it's empathy, I suppose. You know, I've been the person who's been belittled. I've been the person who's been blamed for everything. I would never let that happen to my team. And again, it's them scars of the school bully, I suppose. You know, you. You get hypersensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that makes you a better leader. Mm-hmm. When you know, say, unfortunately, I, I lost my brother, and you know, going through that process, understanding mental health, you know, passionate about it now, how it affects people. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back at me two years ago, what was I going through? You know, a new job, brother terminally ill, everything else in the world tough, coming out of a pandemic, shortages. I don't know how I done it, but I think the resilience that's built up in me has made me a, a, a definitely a better person. And, and I would say a better leader as well. Thank you, thank you for being so honest. That, that, that's great, because it leads me on to something else I wanted to ask you about, which we've, we've spoken before as well, which is around mental health, which you just touched on briefly. Because I think, I'm not saying it's a taboo subject, but I think it's something which over the last 10 years maybe has certainly become more and more important yeah. in business and you know companies realizing the role that they play in people's lives. We spend more of our lives at work than at Absolutely. home, right? So I know that mental health is important to you and all of all of that side of things. You're trying to inst- a few strategies at JCB. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that and what you've done on that side. Yeah, so we started obviously coming through a tough time with my brother and then I was listening to an audiobook. Why haven't they not told me this before? And it goes on about mental health and the basic things to look for in yourself and, and meditation and stuff. And I was sat in the back garden and we just finished with a shutdown. And I was always, I was already thinking about going back to work, how bad it's going to be, because we had a pad, George's, etc. I'm thinking this is not good for people. You know, you, you shouldn't have to be thinking like this. You know, just finished work. So I started looking into it and listening to this book, and I thought, I'm going to teach everybody on site, staff included, basic mental health training. So I made a few calls to a good, good few friends. My Julian Hughes was brilliant to me, lo- local guy again, businessman great connections, yeah. phoned him up, run these ideas past him, and he's got a 
he's got his own um, Papus, which is a mental health charity. So he said, I, I'm into that. Mm -hmm. So I said, listen, I want, I want to train up everyone on site to do mental health training. So he said, we'll set something up. So in the third week of the shutdown and here, we had a guy on site, Sean Nadell, who's a mental health trainer. Okay. Uh, he's been through some tough times himself. So again, speaking with empathy and been through it. And he came on site and taught everybody on site about mental health awareness, training, basic, what to look for, how to address it. And we helped, you know, we had people in this room from after the meetings come in here, at least six people who've helped change their lives. Well, they've come and put their hand up in front of us, not the ones who haven't. I remember a guy stopping me in the garage when I went to get to petrol, it was around Christmas time. I thought he said, thank you for the elf. I said, but you're talking about an elf. I said, well, what did you say? He goes, thank you very much for the mental health training. Right. Yeah, we were struggling at home. My dad's got dementia. Um, we were tearing our family apart, but, you know, Sean helped him, you know, helped him go to a first session and life-changing, life-changing. So, you know, building on that there, you know, it's, it's it's not just about work, as in work, work. If you can keep your, hap your workforce happy and healthy, they're going to be here more. They're going to be more productive. You're not going to have absences. So this year, for how can we build on it? Mm -hmm. So again, like I said before, learning about um, financial stuff, you know, I, that's opened the door to me new world so I thought, again why why didn't i know that when i was on the shop floor about all this kind of stuff so again ben gittins a local guy who i've met a financial advisor i asked him to come in this year and he's delivered training to all the shop floor and staff about different age groups you know 18 to 20 20 to 40 and 40 to 60 because of different times of their life financially and the feedback we've had off the shop floor is phenomenal you know, it's it's just again about the well-being, health mm -hmm. and well-being of your yeah. team. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm going to do next year, like, but yeah. <laughs> set the bar high now. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, the next thing for me is you know alcohol, drug abuse. I know that's bad in men's health because that's our biggest demographic here, and uh, uh, gambling as well. I think it's a okay. big one. So then the next two big ones. For How me. about fitness? Do you, do you, I know you mentioned you've got a rugby team and that kind of. So yeah, so just going into the community, and you know, there's a lot of young men and females here that want to do sport, and there's a, obviously it brings people together. Sports. So yeah, we've done axles versus gearbox. Okay. Then we did Wrexham versus Wrexham rugby transmissions, and now the girls are after a netball team now. So, okay, great. So it's yeah, you can't enforce sports on people as in fitness, but I think if you got something just to talk about, mm -hmm. so it's the banter. Mm -hmm. It's the you know Wrexham who's going to win Gearbox or Axel. There's a trophy in the reception in Axel because Axel won the football match. Now Gearbox want to win it back. Mm -hmm. So it's that banter again, which is good for mental health. Culture again as well. Yeah, culture. It's it's really it's really interesting. And and I think what's refreshing to me listening to you speak is that, you know, you might come into a, a large business like this and think, oh, I'm going to be meeting the general manager and it's going to be very old school. And, you know, <laughs> you don't quite know what to expect. But I remember when I when I first met you, what's so refreshing is that, and, and I, I really get this sense talking to you, is that you appreciate that, yes, you've got employees that work for you, but they have a life yeah, outside of work yeah, yeah, yeah. that you can also help and play a role and I, in. And I'm part of the team. You know, they don't work for me. We're part of the same team. Mm -hmm. That's that's a big difference for me. You know, when I rocked out last week on that rugby pitch, and all oh, half of the young lads don't really know me because they're new to the business. Mm -hmm. 
that they get what's he doing here? Okay. I'm playing, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, what? Did you find that when you play against some people that they tackle you a little bit harder because you're the... No, well, at that time, we, we were on the same team. Okay. But um, but it was just, I just laughed because you know, a lot of the people have been here a long time know me, so they know what I'm about. Mm-hmm. And a few of the young guys don't. Um, just to see them, me mm-hmm. putting my boots on or go to the pitch and, and having a good game of rugby. <laughs> I think it was hopefully it was refreshing for them. Um, but yeah, it was funny to see their face. Yeah, fair. But, but it's it's uh, it's just it's so positive to to hear you speak about those things. And I think I've got a, f- a couple more questions. And I suppose one of them, which is sort of led on from this, is that you you are you know you embrace the team and you try and sort of go to the shop floor and have the conversations with the, with the, with the with the people. But I'm guessing that. Equally, as a leader, you've had to have some difficult conversations oh, with yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. And I was talking to someone recently who said, you know, that was one of their powers, was, if you like, as a leader, was that they were able to have difficult conversations with people, whereas some people shy away from it. You know, they, they became a leader and they realized they couldn't be everyone's yeah. best friend, if you like. So how, how have you approached that? Gen- generally, you? what you find is whenever I've, you know, I was involved, I was called out at H-Court, headquarters yesterday to deal with a situation. But what you generally find is if something's gone wrong, they've either put themselves in that position. Mm-hmm. And generally, people will understand, yeah, I made a mistake there. And or sometimes someone's behavior is not right. But generally, people, when you pull them up, will go, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Very rare that you'll get, no, I, I am okay to do that. I'm okay to behave that way. You know, I've had my team pull me up. Okay. So it's, you know, it's one great example where, you know, I was in school with one lady who still works here and we have a bit of banter it was as you call it then and I said it's like a bit funny to us we've always said every morning to each other and another female phoned me up and said I don't think that was right that you should be saying that in your position mm-hmm. I said okay I appreciate you telling me because you know because uh, we've just been friends all our lives so and I've learned and changed so you have to change and adapt yeah. with yeah. the role as well yeah you know, but I, I welcome criticism. Like when people come on site, I welcome them to go more from the site and tell me what how we can improve. Mm-hmm. So yeah, having them different conversations need to be had. Mm-hmm. Bad leaders need to be spoke to, mentored, coached, or because you leave a bad apple, it's going to turn everybody. And if people are left to behave badly, your good leaders will disrespect you because then people need pulling up. Otherwise, what's the point of having good leadership when you're allowing bad leadership to happen? Yeah. So you do have to deal with the bad leadership to to keep the good leadership going. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I I totally agree with that. So one of the things that you've just led on there, which is interesting, is about this idea of coaching and mentoring, and and you've spoken about, you know, through our conversation about embracing that and being an open book and always learning. So I'm interested to get your views on coaching and mentoring in, in business and, and what role you think that plays. It's 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 everything to me. I like to coach, mentor. I like to see people growing. And by that, so again, you're back to the say the football thing. You're, you're a manager on the side of the pitch. So in the week, you do all your training, prepping for the game. Then when the game time comes, they're on the pitch. They do 90% of yourself. You do your nudging. You do your you know, marking, pick him up from the sideline. But it's up to them then. You've got to let them play. So I like to lose that analogy. In the week is when the training and commentating go in, and then you let them play. You let them run the business themselves. And as they're learning, growing, you're going to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. You just learn and grow from it. And one of the big things I notice is a bit of a eureka moment. We do three-month reviews, but I like to check in every week. 
with the managers. How are you doing? How am I doing? You know, this is a two-way thing. And I got an office manager and a senior manager. And the office manager, obviously, if my role comes available, that's one of the first people who gets it, looks at it. But there's many people on the side where maybe could go for it. And one of the other senior managers in one of my reviews said, I'm going to go for your job when you decide to go. I said, you know, I'm not going anywhere, but... <laughs> And, I, and and it took a while to sink in. So I was out all that night because I do a lot of reflecting. I think that's huge to reflect. You need to reflect on everything. And I thought, I broke a glass ceiling here because before this office was out of bounds. Nobody on the shelf floor got in this office. Nobody from, you know, you had to be helicoptered in. You had to be a special person to be a general manager. Now I've got a guy this very similar pathway to me come off the shop floor is now saying, I'm going to go for your job. I, I feel empowered enough that I can do your job. Now, I think I've set that path. Uh, I've broke that ceiling of going, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. You don't have to be a superstar, NBA star. You can come in here and be a good person, a good, solid, rounded person and do a fantastic job. And that made me happier than anything that I've got people putting their hands up now to go, yeah, I'll have a go at that, mm -hmm. which was n that's never been here before. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was a, another thing about coaching men. So I... I've opened them gates now. Do you, do you see it as a then as a positive thing that that's the environment that you've created here Absolutely. that people want Absolutely. want your job in? A yeah, I, that's unusual. I don't. I think need somebody to push me up this job. I need somebody to go there and push me to my next job. Okay. As much as I love it, you know, you know, my legacy is I want to got a big piece of land we own there. I want to put a factory there. I want to give another hundred odd jobs to people locally. That's my legacy. I want to walk out of here one day and go. We did a fantastic job. But one of my final questions was going to be, you know, we talked about the book Legacy by James Kerr and, and you know, how, how you know, some of the learnings from that are great. And clearly I can see where it's impacted you. So what will Craig Weeks's legacy be, do you think here? What do you want it to be? So my legacy, my vision for this business is you walk into a good, clean, cultured factory working environment where people are happy. We've created jobs. We've created efficiencies and we're the jewel in JCB's crown. Mm. You know, I believe that we're well on the way to that now. I believe with the, the engagements I've had with the seniors in the team, you know, I've got Lord Bamford asking me for tickets to come watch Wrexham. You know, who'd have thought of that? Yeah. That, I, that would be happening. Yeah. So, yeah, it's about that. that the legacy would be we put Wrexham back on the map because mm -hmm. they did go off the map, I believe. I think we've put it back on the map and if I can create jobs, and develop and grow people by going to schools and apprenticeships, that would be a happy Craig Winks walking from here. Mm -hmm. And management training programs and stuff like that? Yeah, so I'm mentoring obviously all the time and succession planning. Every manager's got a succession plan. And you know, if if my role does take me from here one day, I would love to look back and see beating my records. Mm -hmm. I want my records to be beaten. Mm -hmm. I want this place to develop and grow. It's all about the local community. How can we make it better for the local people as well? Mm -hmm. But we will be the jewel in the GCB crown. I, I love that. It's interesting that the, the bits that seem to coming back to legacy. It's it sort of links to those ideas of plant trees that you'll never see. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that about right? Yeah. And sort of leaving leaving the shirt in a better place. Yeah. You know, that's I know you, you've already mentioned you're big into rugby, and that strikes me that that's basically what you're you're aiming for here. Is that right? I've got one final question um, before I ask you the uncommon sense question which we ask everybody, but you mentioned earlier about you've now, it used to be a very male-dominated workforce, yep. and you, you touched on it earlier about the fact yeah. that you, know, you have more females working in the business. So, so. again, in, in times of 
hardship and you look for answers and and uh, we're struggling to get good people through the door. And a friend of mine, I was after forklift drivers, a friend of mine said, I've got a great girl here that's just come out. She used to work in a betting shop and, you know, she's got a truck license now and she wanted to give it a go. So, yeah, no problem. I, I interviewed her, met her, as quiet as a mouse. I thought, you're going to last two minutes here. Anyway, three or four weeks went by and I, I went down to the shop floor and I, I walked past and she was on shift and she was driving towards me. And again, that's something in your stomach turns where you've made that happen. You've made that happen, the first female on the shop floor. Brilliant. And you stop and talk to the lads. She's brilliant. Best one we've got and all that good stuff. So then, you know, I've got to push this. So then trying to advertise for just women is the hard thing because you can't do that now. So it's hard to encourage girls. So when we go to schools, we try to encourage girls to come in here. We invite schools on site to bring females in. And then it's just talking to other people on site. Have you got any daughters? Have you got any friends? Have you? So we eventually started building this workforce up with cousins and aunties and all this started to come to work here. I think we're up to 28 females on the shop floor now. And I've met one of the, the girls who's the daughter of one of the, the one of the workers. And she looked petrified. So I went over and said, are you okay? She was, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, just come out of college. Never been in a working environment like this before. You know, 90% men, scared to death. So I, I was reflecting that night again. I thought, I've got to do something here to help. These, these girls, these women, induct themselves properly into this business. So I come up with a women's forum. Mm -hmm. So then what we did then was we got all the girls, staff, women as well, into a room. And we said, right, floor's open. How can I how can I make this a better factory for women? Because I don't know, I'm not a woman. And it was a bit quiet at first, quiet first. Then when the first question come and brilliant, the, the room lit up then, you know, we don't like walking out in the morning when it's dark and all this stuff. And we need more showers and change room facilities and so yeah and about shift patterns and maternity care and none of these stuff that the men know about because they don't need to know about it so and if you come into this business as a woman if you're a lad you just go up to somebody oh it may as well start shift pattern about it and they'll tell you but a girl's not going to do that mm -hmm. so all them great little nuggets come on we knock them down one by one knock them down one by one and now we're to a point where when we have this women's forum we invite guest people in so we try and get senior women to come in and talk about their experiences. So we were lucky enough to have JCB just taking a lady on now from America. Mm -hmm. She worked in France. She's done a lot of good works, quite senior. So she came in and very similar to this. We sat in front of the room and we just asked her questions and she gave us advice and what the women, and you know, I'm trying to promote the women through the business. I haven't got a, a woman on the senior leadership team. I want one, I want three, four. Mm -hmm. So it's all about pushing that next level and the feedback off the shop floor, the dynamics are brilliant. And one of the interesting things came out of one of the meetings which shocked me. One of them said, uh, we have to do more. I said, what do you mean? She goes, we have to do more. I said, yeah, you've lost me here. So when the lads you know, worked and they're having five minutes, we'll pick a brush up or we'll carry on working or do something. So I said, because we have to prove ourselves. I said, why do you, she said, there's nothing that JCB's done or anything that the lads have done. It's just in us because we're the minority, if you like. We have to prove ourselves. Now, when that's going to change, God knows, but I suppose it's going to take a few years. Mm -hmm. um, but we're well on that journey now. But the hardest thing is, that's why we're engaging the schools a lot, okay. is to get the females through the door is the hard bit because mm -hmm. they get steered to a certain profession. You know, yeah. and we got... You know, that's why I keep bragging about this place. You can be a financial person, you can be in quality, you can be in operations, you can be in machine shop. There's there's endless avenues in this business. And that, that's why I'm in the community to try to sell it. 
you can have a great career here. You can take it all around the world. You know, I was lucky enough to go to India. Blew my mind. Yep. The size of this place in India, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's opportunities and, yep. and we're here in the action. Well, it's interesting because you talked about breaking the glass ceiling from you becoming, you know, shop floor yep. to general manager. And it strikes me that the story you've just told is of the lady going to work on the shop floor. Yes, absolutely. She smashed that glass Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And definitely. now she's now she's smashed it. Yeah. What you're saying is you're going to do everything you can to make sure, I don't know, the, not that the glass is going to close over, but, you know, make sure that that's it now, you know. They yeah, so I've just pinched a girl from design and, and put it into quality. And, you know, I want her to be my next quality manager. And she's she's loving it. She's okay. loving life. Different, say, different lens. Um, brilliance. Diversity is the answer. It's so refreshing. And, and, and a lot, you know, a lot of the stuff we've spoken about in this conversation, which has just been everything I'd, I'd hoped it would be, if I'm honest, has been refreshing and a bit different and a, a new perspective. We always ask our guests on this podcast the, the same final question, which is, you know, based on their career and what they've been through and as leaders, if they're, you know, what their biggest piece of advice would be that they would share with other business leaders or people who are becoming leaders, which is maybe a bit uncommon or something that you wouldn't just read in a textbook. What would you say yours is? I would say have a good boardroom, virtual boardroom, and that's make sure you've got people in that boardroom from different factories, different environments, different lenses on the world. Don't think that your business is the best because there'll always be somebody you can learn from, whether it's money penny, whether it's Networld, whether it's B&Q. There'll be a process there that you can pick up from and they can learn from you, you know. It's a crying shame if you're always looking inward. And I think that's been the biggest difference from up here. We've blown the doors open, we've got schools coming in, we're going to every different kind of business. You know, we're talking to small businesses, big businesses. Make sure you have a different lens on the on the world, would be my advice. It's, it's brilliant advice, and thank you so much for sharing it. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. I think and anyone who works in Wrexham and like the Uncommon Practice based on Wrexham Industrial Estate, we see JCB we see the flags and yeah. you know it's a major major player in our region nationally internationally and it's just been so interesting to get the insight from you as to how you know how you're operating I, I really hope our listeners will take a lot away from everything that you've said about culture about values about instilling excellence the, the highlights for me about you know casting a shadow leaders set the tone it's all about people all about people it's all about people yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, what's been so great is hearing your story. And thank you for being so honest with us, you know, how you came from, you know, the shop floor, working with your dad and then working right to the top uh, at JCB here. It's It's been really great. And I think the thing I would say to you is it, it's, it's, it's an inspiring story and I, I really appreciate you sharing it. And I, I can see why your dad was so proud, you know, of you and of the work that you've done because it's it's a great story and it's a great business and thanks for joining us on Uncommon Sense it's been great no it's been a pleasure meeting you you and the team as well you know it's great to see like-minded people and that's what I get from people when you like-minded people come together we can make a difference we can make a difference brilliant thanks Greg and there will be a part two no, we're a part two yeah great there will be a part two really great <laughs> look out for part two Cheers, everybody. <laughs> thanks guys